I told you it'd be longer than normal. There we go. All right, welcome once again to uh, our study in the New Testament. And we are working through the New Testament a chapter at a time. Uh, we've already been through math, Matthew, math, Matthew, Mark, and John. And now we're in the book of Luke. And when we finish the book of Luke, which we're marching right along on, another 13 or 14 weeks, no, 11 weeks, um, we'll begin the book of Acts. All right, because uh, Luke and Acts flow nicely together, both written by, who can tell me who wrote Luke and Acts? Luke, very good. (laughs) Who did he write them to? Theophilus, which means lover of God. You've been listening, buddy. I like that. And and we believe that Theophilus was an actual person uh, that these books, uh, these letters were written to, but... Some say that it might just been to all the lovers of God, which in effect it was, ultimately, because it was written to all of us as the lovers of God. And uh, Luke's uh, perspective is more of a uh, how the gospel impacts Gentiles uh, overall. Um, Luke was a historian, as we've talked about. He was very good about recording history. He was very detailed in his research. He, he adds a lot of things in his writings that we don't see in other places. And he's good about pointing people to the big question about getting saved and what that looks like. And it runs throughout the context of his writings. And um, in the last few chapters that we've looked at in the book of Luke, Jesus has particularly been telling people they need to make a choice. And uh, that began around Luke chapter 9. And he uh, had always been talking to the crowds up until that point. From Luke 9 somewhere, he begins to change the focus a little bit to working with his disciples. And we've talked about the life of the disciple then in chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, and even into this one. And uh, less and less often is he addressing the crowds. And when he does, it's ultimately to tell them time is running out. You need to make a choice. You need to follow me. You need to choose to follow me in faith. And we saw at the end of Luke chapter 12 that he actually had made this illustration of a court case and that, uh, listen, if you're going off to court, you need to try and settle out of court before it's too late. And he's basically saying the earth's heading for judgment. You need to get your settlement in with Christ before it gets there or it's too late. And that was the illustration he left us with. Well, that thread sort of picks up in uh, Luke 13. And so I want to uh, read uh, Luke 13 to you. 35 verses is all. Tonight, so it's a nice uh, short chunk of scripture, and uh, and then I want to discuss it for a few minutes together, and uh, then we'll take your prayer requests and we'll pray from there. So Luke chapter thirteen, beginning in verse one and reading through verse thirty-five. Now there was uh, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices, and Jesus answered. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Were those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. 
Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig it. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hand on her, hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to his people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out and give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And then he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us, but he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate with you and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and the first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, I tell you. You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And blessed be the word of God. Okay. So, a lot of stuff in uh, Luke 13 in, in that small uh, chunk of scripture. And yet there's a, really a few things that I want to talk about out of that uh, this evening. As I said, when we finished up Luke 12, he's telling the crowds they need to make a choice. They need to choose to follow him. And we've been watching this dialogue now uh, un, un, unravel in this entire thing that's going on with Jesus and the crowds and Jesus and his disciples and the difference. To his disciples who have chosen to follow him, he's begun to lay out the groundwork of what the life of a disciple looks like. To those who refuse to make that choice, but who sort of like to hang along for whatever else they might be hanging along for, 
He's telling them, you're running out of time. You need to choose. You need to make a decision. This is, this is it. And Luke 13 is all about ultimately making this choice. And yet what happens, and in the first five verses of this thing that happens, that, that I think is, is what you'll see happens all the time. Rather than choose Jesus, the crowds are asking a lot of questions that really don't make any difference. And they begin to say to him things like, well, what about those people that died, you know, at the hands of, uh, of uh, Herod in that situation? And, and, and like people that die in, in these disasters, like the, the towers that they fell on, you know, what about them? Are they, did they deserve that? Are they worse than everybody else? Are they more sinful? Is, what about, how could God allow that? Is God good? You ever hear questions like that? And what happens is it takes people away from making a choice. They put all this other stuff in there and they throw it around. And it, and it keeps people off of what really matters. And what Jesus is telling them, you have to make a choice. You need to choose to follow me in faith and make a decision to do so. It's, it's the option. Um, you'll hear me talk about this more on the weekend if you're here. But, but, uh, and we talked about this in Luke 9. The big question that Luke boils it all down to is, who do you say that Jesus is? And that's still the big question. And it really, everything comes down to that question. You can, we, can, we can boil this all down to how you answer that question. How you answer that question, question determines everything about how you live this life and, and how you live in the next age as well. It, it, it has impact in, in the now and in the not yet. Who do you say that Jesus is? And, and what's happening is the crowds are trying to say all sorts of things. Well, maybe he's kind of like that guy or he's sort of like this comeback or he's kind of like that. Everything but what Peter said. Well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're, the, you're it. And, and that's the right answer. And that's the answer we need to get to. And it's given to us. And yet people would rather go to all the side little questions. Well, how does your God allow that? What about this? What about that? And ultimately, it gets you off track. And, and it's a distraction. And, and that's what we're going to talk about all weekend. I don't want to give it all away. But... I had this thought this week in preparing for my message. I'll share it with you now because I think it was interesting. I, and I remember it very clearly. When I was in the 10th grade, you think, you can remember that far back? Yeah, I really can. Tell me, did they have electricity then? Yes, they did. Uh, <laughs> um, when I was in the 10th grade, I, had an English, I was in an English class. So I had an English teacher. And um, on the day before a test, she would actually hold the test in her hands, read us the questions and the answers. Every one of them on the test. She would do this before every test. Take note. I mean, write, you, could, you had enough time to write down the... I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. The next day we would come in and take the test. And I was shocked at how many people would fail the test in the class. So I used to think, what in the... How stupid are these people? She gave you the answers. She gave you the questions and the answers. Both. All of them. Every one of them. No surprises. Ever. It was exactly as she read it, in the exact order as she read it, every time there was a test. And, and a significant amount of people would not get the answers right. And I used to scratch my head. And I, I remember back then I used to think they were stupid. <laughs> That's a judgment. And, and I realized it's not that they're stupid. They were distracted. And they, they just couldn't get to... What they needed, they were sort of off in all sorts of other directions, and they were missing the fact that here's the, here's the, the question and the answer. And, and as I was thinking about this whole thing, 
that the question is given, the most important question is asked, and is answered by Peter, and he gives the right answer. That's, the, that's it. That's the big deal in life. You've got to get that question right. That's the ultimate question. Who do you say that Jesus is? He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Okay, good. And then you go from there. That's, that's it. But is it amazing how many people get distracted from that? And then, just like here in Luke 13, they start asking all sorts of ridiculous questions that take you away from the point. It, it doesn't, it's not the point. You're just getting distracted. This is, this is the question. This is the answer. And that's what matters. And yet, it's something that we have to be aware of in life. And that's what's happening now. The, the people, the crowds have seen what Jesus has done. What God has done through Christ. What, what's happened. The miracles have taken place. They've, many of them have been hanging around for a while. They've been through the miraculous feedings. They've seen the healings. They've seen all these things. And yet, they're just kind of hanging along thinking, well, that's okay. But I don't really want to make that next step. And that becomes the problem. And they, rather than make the step, they keep coming up with excuses why they shouldn't. Well, what about this? Explain this. Explain that. Explain this. And it's like, it's time to choose. You've seen enough. There's enough evidence around if you're looking that we just can't keep going down that path. Because at some point, you've you got to just choose. And he goes on then and tells the parable of the fig tree. And in, in, in Luke 13, 6 through 9, and I believe the next two stories that we talk about relate back to the fig tree. The problem is, here's this fig tree. It's been planted and tended, and it should be producing fruit, and it's not. And in the story, the, the fig tree represents Israel, which should be producing fruit, and it's not, because it's been planted and tended. And yet they've, they, there's no fruit happening at all. And the thing is, it says, listen, if it doesn't produce fruit, we'll give it this one last shot, but if it doesn't figure it out and produce fruit, it's done. And, and he's, he's making this analogy, and they're getting what's happening. They just don't like it. And, and so this, this is out there. And, um, and so he then goes and, and begins to interact in a couple other sort of illustrations in the rest of the chapter that I think are very important because it's, it's where people go in rather than following Jesus, is they, sometimes, they, they, there's something, they know there's something, but rather than really commit, they sort of want to travel along the edges and not get all the way in. But at the same time, they kind of look, they want to look like they're in, but not really in, and yet there's all this, and they're, they're always looking for these things. And it causes them almost to play some games. And um, there's, there's two in particular that I want to talk about. And the first one, is, is um, illustrated in Luke 13, 10 through 21. And I would call this the game of formalism. And, and formalism is like wanting to look good on the outside, but, but ultimately the inside is a huge mess. And, and so life, in particular what they pose as spiritual life, becomes all about form rather than what's really taking place on the inside. And Jesus makes this point with this woman who's been um, oppressed by the evil one for 18 years to the point where she's, she's all crippled up and bent over. And Jesus sees her and he calls her forward and he prays for her and she's set free, released, and she's, she stands up. The, the ruler of the synagogue, who's just witnessed the miracle of God, should be overjoyed that God has moved on someone in, in his group. And, and yet his response is, he's annoyed. He's not overjoyed, he's annoyed. And says, there's six days a week for work to happen. 
come and get healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response is, you hypocrites. Don't you get it? He, he, and then he goes on and says, if, if you have a donkey at home that needs to get untied so it can give some water on the Sabbath, you untie it. And yet you, you, you don't have any issue with that. But someone comes who's a daughter of Abraham who needs to be healed, and because it goes against your form, you resist. Well, this, this picture of formalism is one, and we talked about this throughout our study of the Gospels, because it's one we have to be very careful of, because it's very easy for the church to fall into form rather than substance. And there's a big difference between formalism and producing fruit, which gets back to the fig tree and why this thing came up. And, and ultimately, that's, that's the whole deal. Um, if our form is perfect and yet we don't produce fruit, we've missed the boat. It's, it's always about producing fruit. Always. The life of a disciple is always about producing fruit. The life of the church should be about producing fruit. Um, and, and so the, 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 the thing that you look for, and I tell you this all the time, is, is the fruit happening in the church. Are people coming to know Jesus? Are, are people's lives being changed? Can you, can you see that, that things are happening in the church? Or has it become about form? And, and it always has to be about fruit first. You know, all of us have some form, and that's okay, but, you know, it can't be become the main things. Because sometimes, it, God, because he's faithful, as soon as you get your form all worked out, you know what he does? Changes it. Shows up in a different way, and then wonders what you're going to do with it. Well, let's see what happens now. And, and what's more important, form or fruit? It's the big question, see? And it has to be on the mind and the heart of the church all the time. Or else we become like the Pharisees and it happens like that. And we have areas where it happens all the time. we just got to be on guard. Or else we'll stop producing fruit. We won't produce fruit anymore. And we'll, we'll just become empty. See, the problem with formalism is it's empty. There's no life in it. When you substitute... The movement of God and the, the movement of the Holy Spirit for form, you lose life. And it becomes stale and it becomes dry and it becomes legalistic and there's no life. And yet, in a lot of ways, it's where it happens because it's easier. See, that's why rules always flourish. Because people just, if people think that this, well, if what, no, I don't. It's hard for me to kind of hang out with God and figure out what he wants me to do, so just give me some rules. And then I'll follow some and I'll break some and it's all well. As long as I, and then the thinking is, as long as I follow more than I break, good for me. Because isn't God like that? It's just a little better than... And it's not. And, and the thing is always that it's never about a bunch of rules. It's about trying to do the next right thing by hanging with God, right? He, he gave us ten, it was enough. Didn't, didn't need a whole bunch more. You can't follow the ten, which points you to the fact that you need a Savior. So you don't need 700 to know that you can't follow the ten. Right? Which is what happened. Which is what happened with the Pharisees. And remember, good intentions. You've got to hear that, because otherwise you write them off as evil. They didn't start out evil. They were trying to protect Judaism from, from being Hellenized, from the Greek culture. It was a good idea. But they lost God in the process. And we've got to be careful that we don't miss God in the process and the way that you always check that out is where's the fruit 
Second illustration is in Luke 13, 22 30, uh, through 35, all the way through the end of it. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on there that we could talk about, the kingdom of God, which, you know, I love to talk about. I've done a whole series on the kingdom of God, but it, the kingdom of God, it, it, starts, it starts small with Christ, and then it's working its way and expanding until he returns. That's the situation. Remember, it was hard for the disciples and everyone to accept who Jesus was because they wanted a political kingdom installed that would just immediately take over, and that's not the kingdom they got. So they had to look outside of their box to, to see what the Lord was doing. So in these last verses then, this other group of people. So there's formalism. Um, there's this there's other group of people, uh, and, and I'm not sure exactly how to classify them, but it's people that refuse to make a commitment. And, and again, as a disciple, there's no way to be a disciple without being committed. They, they go hand in hand. And if you're not committed, there'll be no fruit. And what happens with these people is that they like sort of hanging around Jesus because of some of the benefits. I mean, granted, it had to be cool to hang around Jesus. You know, like, because he'd see that you were hungry and fish sandwiches would appear. And, which is cool, right? And, and you know, he, and, and sick would people come and they'd get healed and there was this, it was cool. And so some of these people just like hanging out. You know, they didn't have TV or anything. So this was, this was something to go and, and do, in effect. And, and go and be a part of. And yet they, they wouldn't commit. They wouldn't get in. And, and Jesus says, well, that's not going to work either. And he uses his illustration about the, the master of the house closing the door and the people all outside saying, hey, let us in. And he said, it's too late. I don't know you. And they're like, sure you know us. Man, we ate with you. The fish sandwiches. Remember the whole fish sandwich thing? <laughs> and we drank with you and you taught in our streets, Remember? And he's like, I, I, sure, I remember, but I don't know you. Because they never committed. They never chose. They never made a choice. And without the choice, there's no, there's no way to produce fruit. And so, ultimately, in both of those things, I would sum it up in this statement. It's not about going to church. It's about being his church. And there's a significant difference. Significant difference. We need to be his church. And, and that's my heart. And, and we've been talking about that. I want, you to, I want us all to be his church. And that, that it's, it's not just about here. It's, about, it's more about out there that you're his church. And how do we do that? And how do we produce fruit in that, in that process? And believe it or not, you're gonna do, he's going to talk about it again. That's where the ministry of encouragement comes in. You know, if, if you've seen these little, and we'll put some more of these out in case you don't have one yet, these little wristbands. You ever notice that little guy on there? It's grapes because we're the vineyard. But it's more about fruit and producing fruit. He's on there because it's about producing fruit. And that, that this is a simple, simple way for everyone to get committed and produce fruit by following those simple little things that we got. Being thankful and going out and encouraging two people. Being thankful, remembering who God is and what it's all about, and, and getting focused on Him, and then going and encouraging. Is that ministry? Oh, it's powerful ministry. There's, there's not a single reason for anyone here to be able to say they don't have any ministry. Here it is. Ministry for everyone. Be thankful every day. Encourage two people. And it's, it's fruit that you produce. It's the call of God on our lives to get out there and get busy, to be the church. Baby, how do we be the church? Right? Be thankful and go encourage two people. You're being the church. 
it's, it's what it takes. It's, I don't know how else to, to make it clearer for everybody. So what we're being called to. Make it a part of your life. It's what's happening. And it, and it just fits in with this entire chapter. So, so it's all about what Jesus is saying here. It's, it's about being fruitful. And that that's what makes the difference. We choose to follow Jesus. Then we start to, to, to live our lives accordingly. Not, not in a self-righteousness, but in a, in a way that says, God, I want to do the next right thing. And when I blow it, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And I'm going to get back at it and do the next right thing. And, and Lord, live a life that produces fruit. And that's the basics of Luke chapter 13. Amen? Amen. Um, if you haven't filled out already your prayer request, you can begin to do that. If you're watching by video, thanks for watching. Hello to everybody in Williston. They'll pray for you up there. Uh, if you need anything, if you're not in Williston, you're just watching, you can call us, email us, let us know, and uh, we will get back to you as soon as we can. So God bless you, and thanks for watching. Pass me up your prayer requests, and we will pray for them. And call it a night.